0: Hey guys, welcome into the Fantasy Flyers, where the advice is made up and analysts don't matter. I'm your host, Ryan Reaver. Alongside me, as always, is your Quant from the North, Josh Smith. Glad to be here, Ryan, ready for episode two. Let's do it, man. I'm excited. We've got a different kind of show going on for everybody today. you know we're still going to touch on the camp news as always talk a bit of fantasy player stock you know we got some interesting segments uh that we're going to unveil here hopefully they become a mainstay in the double f podcast uh in addition to those we're definitely going to focus on draft strategies i know we talked a little bit earlier and we both kind of felt like giving people player rankings and advice as far as all that stuff goes doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to draft um I, i think the tips that we've come up with are Good for new players and people who are seasoned veterans who have been drafting for years. Uh, Maybe different things, different perspectives that people don't think of when they're going into a draft. Uh, You know, we try to offer some different ideas. You know, not going to be for everybody, obviously, but, you know, different things to help.
1: Yeah, for sure. Just a couple tips to get people prepared for drafts is the most important thing we're going to try to cover today. So ready for it.
0: Uh, Before we dive into it here, uh, let's do a few uh, shameful plugs uh, if you will. First of all, be sure to follow us on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Ryan Reber, FF, and Josh, yours is uh, Flyers underscore Josh. Uh, that's F-L-I-E-R-S, not like the hockey team.
1: Yeah, like them.
0: Check out our website at FantasyFlyers.com. You know, we've got our podcast over there uh, in addition to it being on Spotify and Stitcher. Some articles which you know, we just put up maybe what, like, two or three weeks ago. We're gonna get some new ones up there, but uh, yeah, some interesting analytics stuff there as far as strength schedule goes. Uh, it's called AB analysis. Check that out. Josh put up a really good article on best ball strategies, uh, which I read over. Were very good. Uh, you know, of course, our rankings are up there too. Uh, we're gonna be adding some more stuff. We're planning on doing some mock draft Mondays once the uh, show gets going here a little bit more. Those are probably come in, I think next year, where you know, once, once we start expanding and getting some more followers and listeners, you know, we'll have more time to be able to put into this. Uh, so definitely head over there, check it out. Josh, is there anything else you wanted to shamefully plug here before we get going?
1: Nope, I think you got it all. Just uh, we're starting out, trying to get people to listen. So any new listeners would be much appreciated.
0: Yep, and uh, you know another thing too. If uh, if anybody has any advice or questions or anything like that for the show, you can email us at fantasyflyers at uh, gmail Into the first segment here, uh, we got NFL bruises and newses. Uh, Josh, as always, we can't talk about bruises and newses without. Talking about what we're uh, what we're brewing up. You got any any brews you're sipping on right now? No, just water. Uh, just water. You're going sober for the show. I'm I, I'm behaving myself.
1: I have the air conditioner off, so it won't come up on mic. So I'm sweating my ass off. I found not to drink beer while I'm doing that as well. So trying to behave yeah, you got to rehydrate
0: for sure, especially when that's going exactly, on. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's exactly. good for our draft tips here because uh, you know that that's important. You got to stay focused. Uh, I'm actually sipping on a Cape uh, May IPA right now. But just sipping, drinking it slow. It's not not really beer you can chug, and uh, it's out of a can, which I don't really like. But whatever, what are you gonna do? You got what you got. <laughs> As my kid would say, you get what you get, and you don't get upset. So, Very wise. Yeah, she's wise beyond her years. All right, a few different things happen around the NFL. Josh, you want to give us a rundown of uh, the different things uh, we can hit on? Some stuff that you you know maybe you think deserves cursory glance, and some stuff that we should you know, delve deeper into here.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Just quickly this week, there's really no bruises. Thank God. Even after having a full week of preseason games. So most part is just kind of some quick stuff. Tim Tebow cut from Jacksonville. Color me surprised that that experiment didn't work. I really don't uh, know why Jacksonville cut him after week one. Cause honestly, cutting him after week one kind of doesn't even fit into the whole experiment. To be honest, you bring a guy in who was a former QB You give him three weeks to prepare and then try to turn him into a tight end. Seems kind of ridiculous, but we are talking about Urban Meyer here. And that was, in the end, just a publicity stunt, but...
0: That whole thing was a publicity stunt to sell jerseys and stuff.
1: Next up, I want to talk about some of the rookie performances we had in the preseason. Specifically, the QB performances. I thought they all did a solid job. Nobody kind of blew me off the paper, but a lot of them were solid at best. I thought... Trey Lance looked the best with that 80-yard touchdown he had mixed in with a couple inconsistent throws. Justin Fields had a really good game, kind of exciting the Chicago crowd, obviously calling into question whether he should be starting week one. Zach Wilson, okay game. And Trevor Lawrence, solid game, a couple good throws. Also didn't do too much in the first week. But, Ryan, what do you think about the rookie QBs week one of preseason?
0: Yeah, I thought – Fields looked the best out of everybody. Uh, He really impressed me, and I really wasn't that high on him going Mm -hmm. into this. Yeah, I like his upside, but I didn't think he was going to look as good as he did. I thought Lance and and Lawrence were kind of next for me in that second tier. Obviously, you know, I still have Lawrence ranked higher because I think he's a better prospect, but I I thought they both kind of were there in that second tier. And then the other guys I thought were in that third tier. Uh, That's pretty much where I fell with it. But I thought all the rookies, you know, looked fine, honestly. Yeah, that's what I thought.
1: And then tailing off that a little bit, even with the solid, solid performances, Matt Nagy said Andy Dalton's still the number one QB in Chicago. And Kyle Shanahan said that Trey Lance is going to be receiving more first-team reps when he thinks it feels right. It's kind of, I, I don't know how much to read into this. That's kind of coach speak, in my opinion, where they don't want to like tip their hats and like say that these guys are starting week one. But I really don't see a way that these guys aren't starting week one. I, they're just better than the guys behind them. So it's kind of pointless to hold him back. But then again, who knows sometimes with these NFL QB, uh, NFL coaches.
0: Yeah, I don't really think this is that big a deal. This is one of those things where, I mean, even Urban Meyer saying the same thing about Lawrence down there and we know he's going to start. It's one of those things yeah. where, you know, if they looked good this week, but if they shit the bed the next two weeks and the coaches already said, yeah, he's going to be our starter, that's not something they can go back on. If they, you know, still say that, you know, Dalton's going to be the starter and Garoppolo's going to be the starter up until week one, you know, once they make that decision, there's no going back on it. So I think it there's no point in rushing that decision and making sure that you're 100% on it.
1: Yeah, true. It's going to be interesting to see where they go with it, but I, I tend to lean towards the rookies starting week one.
0: But Me too. I think Fields and Lawrence, Jones, Wilson all start week one personally. And I think Lance, may, they may wait a little bit. Um, the only yeah. thing that gives me pause on Fields is the fact that Nagy's there and he did the same thing with Mahomes you know, holding him back for an entire year, but, uh, I think it's kind of a different situation because Nagy's on the hot seat and he's the head coach now. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, is there anything else that we didn't talk about here in the news notes that you think deserves some respect on its name? Uh, no, I think we
1: got it. It was a, thankfully a quiet week, no injuries. So knock on wood, it, we repeat that for week two of preseason.
0: All right. If you got nothing else to add there on to, uh, news and notes, um, Bruises and bruises and newses, I guess is what we're calling it. Um, I guess we can hop into our second segment here. Uh, we got some fantasy pump and dump. I do a lot of listening to other podcasts of industry leaders, uh, obviously for their advice, because everybody in in this industry, I think, is very knowledgeable. You know, we we do our own research, but you know, there could be somebody else who thinks of something or sees something that we haven't. Another reason I listen is to try and pick up ideas for players and topics that haven't been talked about and maybe getting overlooked. In doing this, there are definitely player strategies that are not overlooked. Every single podcast seems to hammer on, and I think it pumps up certain players' ADPs. This week, we wanted to hit, or at least this show, I mean, we wanted to hit three rookies, it looks like, uh, that we felt were being kind of pumped up this this year. So this is a little bit of fantasy industry pump and dump. I'll bring up the first guy for you, and you tell me what you think here. So Kyle Pitts. Every podcast I've listened to is kind of uh, they're trying to scale back a little bit on Kyle Pitts, but it's not really keeping his ADP from rising. I think he's going in like the fifth round right now, which to me seems high. I'm just curious what you think about, about Kyle Pitts.
1: Oh, for sure. I think he's definitely being overdrafted. It is kind of funny because it is one of those things too where I think a lot of the people I listen to in the industry are kind of trying to pump the brakes right now and be like, don't expect too much out of him. But then again, you also have people... Uh, saying about how he's basically Calvin Johnson that plays tight end. Exactly.
0: I know that's the whole thing. It's like in in the same breath, they're like, yeah, like don't draft him in the fifth round, but he looks like Calvin Johnson. And I'm like, well, (laughs) you can't really say that and expect people not to draft him in the fifth round.
1: You're getting people excited. Like people have to realize he can look like Calvin Johnson. He can be as quick as Calvin Johnson, but he doesn't play a wide receiver.
0: Right. He's a tight end.
1: Yeah. Tight end is a hard position to pick up year one. Guys are notorious for having slow starts at tight end, especially year one. And a lot of these guys don't even really pick it up until year three. Just Travis Kelsey really didn't start picking up until year three, four, and five. And then he like really broke out after that. So I think Look it's just,
0: Waller. Waller was like 28 before he started showing anything.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's another one. He took forever to kind of come up. And he was the same thing. Everybody said he's a wide receiver, uh, in a wide receiver body playing tight end. You still have to learn how to block. You have to learn the different schemes. like. It's just harder than wide receiver. Wide receiver, you kind of just have to learn the routes and kind of just go out there. Tight end's different. You have to learn blocking schemes, where to go on the line, stuff like that. I think it's just kind of, you should be cautious where you're taking him.
0: Yeah, I think he's a a prime example of why I hate player comparisons so much. And I try to refrain from doing them anytime I can. Uh, You know, like, oh, Carl Pitts looks like uh, Calvin Johnson. Like, there's no Calvin Johnson. There's only, you know, there's one. You know, nobody else is Calvin Johnson. So I, I that's why I try and avoid him because this is what happens. So I, I'm guessing we both feel that he's a dump. He should be uh, not being taken where he is.
1: He's definitely a dump. I think he's for sure being drafted at his ceiling. We talked about this uh, another time off the show. Rob Gronkowski, his rookie year in 2010, had like the highest scoring output by rookie tight end. He had 114.6 points that year in standard. And more than half of his points came from having 10 receiving touchdowns. So basically we're trying to say that Kyle Pitts included to having a a thousand to 1100 yards is also going to have like eight to 10 touchdowns. Like it's not going to happen. I think we're just drafting him way too high right now. And you have to kind of like breed caution with that.
0: A uh, second guy that I've been seeing uh, climb boards. And I think a lot of industry leaders have been talking about him and I feel like he's being drafted as though he's going to be the only running back there, but in my opinion, it's going to be a committee. It's Javante Williams. How do you feel about him?
1: I think he's close to where he should be drafted. Maybe a little high. I think it is. People do have to consider Melvin Gordon being there. He is a guy who's going to eat up carries and kind of just be a a thorn in his side all season. But then again, Melvin Gordon has seen less and less carries each year, and only had 15 carries per season or 15 carries per game last year. And I was with a crappier backup in uh philip lindsey yep so like they go and take a second round pick in javante so he's definitely going to force the issue i think early on but i don't think we can just totally ignore melvin gordon from week one
0: no me neither i I think that's going to be very close to a 50 50 split and gordon's going around later yeah according to adp you know i think both of them are being kind of drafted where they should be I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of weeks, Javante just shoots up this board uh, just because he's a rookie. He's an unknown. And uh, I, I think a lot of people have been talking about him. So right now I think he's being taken where about where he should be. But I think in a couple of weeks when everybody starts really drafting, I think that you're going to see him just absolutely rocket up the board. And I don't think that that should be happening. If he goes another 10, 10 picks higher than this, that I, he's, he's a dump for me, but right where he is, you know, i, I I'd buy him.
1: I agree. I think the only other thing I would say, too, is kind of be careful with him in half PPR and full PPR. In three seasons at UNC, he only had eight catches, 17 catches, and 25 catches.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's, he's another a, guy. He's a standard running back. He's not
1: going to be a three-down guy. Exactly. He's not going to be a three-down guy. He'll be the goal line back, but he's not going to catch a lot of passes, I don't think. And I also don't think that the Broncos really did that that much last year.
0: Either. So I think that's just another thing to keep in mind. But at, at this point, I'd say he's probably a buy. Najee Harris, even more draft capital than both these other guys. I personally think he's a pump for me. Uh, I know a lot of people have been boosting him up the boards in the industry, really, really talking about Najee Harris. Uh, he's getting a lot of love. You know, the concerns obviously are that offensive line and Big Ben's noodle arm not being able to open up running lanes, you know, because people are going to stack the box. But he looked great in that preseason game. He's going to be the only guy in that offense who's going to get carries. I can't picture McFarlane or Benny Snell taking carries from him. And I think that the Steelers are going to want to get back to their identity of, you know, playing good defense now that they're healthy again and pounding the rock down people's throats. So he's he's one that I'm really excited about. You know, if he starts pushing into the first round, that's where I'm I'm getting off that horse. But in the second round, I think he's great there.
1: See, I I tend to disagree a little bit. I'm not super worried about the bad offensive line because, like, McCaffrey has a bad offensive line. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's offensive line is banged up. And there's a couple other guys who really don't have great offensive lines in the top 10 running backs, but we only seem to really fault Najee it, which I don't necessarily get. The one thing I do say is I don't like him as much as guys like Joe Mixon. I'm more on Antonio Gibson than him. I just think... His ups. He's another one. I don't know if he's going to catch a lot of passes. Uh, let me see. I have his stats from Alabama. Six catches, four catches, 27 catches, and then the outlier, he had 43 as a senior. So, I mean, maybe he'll add that to his game, but I don't know. I I get the upside and I get the appeal, but he's not somebody I'm, like, actively targeting either. And I also think that's because he's usually in the mix with all those top-tier wide receivers I really like, those second... The second round wide receivers i always have above him and a couple of those other running backs but i i don't think he's being overdrafted i just think for me personally i don't have him very often but i can definitely see the appeal
0: yeah like i said i think he's going right about where he should he maybe should be going a couple of picks later but i understand the hype around him because of the steelers notoriously being a great running team you know i i don't think you're wrong like i i can understand fading him and i understand the hype for him where he's going you know, like I said, if he climbs up right now, he's going 15th. If he starts climbing up into that top you know, couple picks of the second round, late first round, that's too much for me.
1: Exactly. I, I'm not opposed to taking him, but I've, at least I've found in my early best ball drafts, he never falls. He's always taking a little early for me, so he he just never ends up in my possession, but I'm not opposed to taking him kind of in this spot.
0: that wraps up our fantasy pumping up Uh, i guess we can move into the next segment which is i think going to be my favorite segment of our show growing up i I gotta ask you josh did you watch or play pokemon like everybody else of course i'm from the 90s so i love it so my favorite thing about that show wasn't the show itself it was who's that pokemon because it made you feel brilliant okay i love that part so i thought we can incorporate something like that into our our fantasy show here. You know, I thought it'd be fun to bring that to our program. We're going to play a little who's that football player. I'm going to give you a few key stats and I know that you guessed the first two already uh as we were kind of discussing post show I gave you one guess on on both of them, on both of those and uh you got them right. But the third one you don't know yet. So I'm going to read them out loud. Uh we can let people who are listening at home kind of play along. See if they can get them. So I got three sets for you, three different sets of Pokémon. Uh, for you guys. So uh, set number one, we're going with quarterbacks. Both players had seven rushing touchdowns last season. Player one had 105 more pass attempts, had five more passing touchdowns, and scored 15 more points overall. Player two is going 46 picks ahead of player one, even though he scored 15 less points. Now we discussed, uh, you guessed earlier, that it was Ryan Tannehill as player one, and Lamar Jackson is player two. So I want to ask you, do you think that we're overvaluing Lamar Jackson or undervaluing Ryan Tannehill? Or are they correct where they should be?
1: So this is where I come down on this. I think, A, the fact that uh, Lamar Jackson had 105 less attempts than Tannehill and still finished only three spots behind him kind of speaks to his floor. And in my opinion, he had a pretty horrible season last year and still finished ninth among QBs. So I think that that's the fact he's being drafted so high. That's why I like to target him, just because that floor he gets with his rush yards, and if he kind of just comes – he was never going to maintain the pace he had when he had 37 passing touchdowns two years ago when he won MVP. But if he kind of gets in that middle ground a little bit, especially this year with a revamped receiving core and better offensive weapons, I think – He's going to be way closer to that higher number than he was last year with that lower number if he stays healthy. So I think Lamar is definitely being drafted where he's at, if not a little higher in my opinion. But I think it's perfect because he's being the fifth QB, being taken as the fifth QB off the board. And I always take him at the end of that tier. And I also think Tannehill is being underdrafted. You look at his stats, he had 105 more pass attempts than Lamar last year. The Titans were a third... Worst team last year in pass attempts per game. And he still finished with 105 more pass attempts than Lamar. So even when you look at this part of it, he didn't have that many pass attempts compared to everybody else. And he still finished QB six. So he's got some of the rushing upside with the touchdowns and he does get yards. He has a new offensive threat now in Julio Jones. You might have heard of him, future Hall of Famer and one of the greatest wide receivers to ever suit up. And he's still going super late in drafts among QBs. I, I don't see why people fade Tannehill anymore. The guy's still young. It, I don't get it. I think with a new offensive coordinator, he could throw a lot more this season too. I love his upside.
0: Yeah, me too. Tannehill's one of those guys that I, I target because you know uh, we've discussed and we're going to discuss later about the you know first you know Ricky Bobby method for quarterbacks and tight ends. Uh, if you ain't first or last, kind of a thing. Uh, I think I've typically fade Lamar Jackson because he falls into that middling ground for me. Uh, personally, he's kind of at the end of the tier for that, you know, those top quarterbacks for me, but there's other guys I like better at different positions where he's being taken Tannehill. I love where he's being taken. And I mean, that was, he's, he's outscored Lamar Jackson last year. And that was before he got Julio Jones. I just think that they're going to air it out a lot more this year. And, uh, I, I expect the Titans, you know, to kind of crush their division because the Texans got worse. Jacksonville's bad, and the Colts are dealing with a ton of injuries. So I think Tannehill is just going to have a really easy cake schedule, even if it doesn't, t- you know, technically look like that on paper. Uh, so Tannehill's a guy that I'm targeting. Lamar Jackson, I typically fade. I just thought it was interesting that they both had seven rushing touchdowns because you don't really think of Tannehill as a, a running quarterback. Okay, you want to move on to the second guy here. Um, I think we got tight ends. You guess these ones are ready. So, player one was second at his position in targets at 145 total. He was the number one option on his team last year, and he finished first at the position. Not hard to figure out, everybody. That's Travis Kelsey. Player two had 101 targets last year. So, that's what, 44 less than Travis Kelsey? His new quarterback targeted Titans 122 times last season. He's definitely expected to be the number one target in his team as he's like the only guy there who was there last year. And the number one target is vacated now with 115 targets. So the wide receiver one has left that team and vacated 115 targets. He finished fourth overall last year. The difference between Travis Kelsey and this player, who is TJ Hawkinson, in case you haven't figured it out, is 49 picks. That to me is astounding. I really think Hawkinson has all of the opportunity and talent to break into that top three tight end now obviously that means he's got to overtake i don't think he overtakes kelsey but he could overtake kittle or waller you know i think kelsey's in a tier by himself but i definitely think hawkinson can challenge those two for that tier and he's being taken way later than them uh i'm curious what you think about this what do you think about hawkinson i'm in
1: full agreement i i don't get it Usually my strategy with tight ends is similar to QBs, where I'll either take one pretty early for that position group and or wait really long. Hawkinson kind of falls in the middle for some reason, and he shouldn't, so I do end up with him a lot. I just, I think people haven't seen him yet, so they're kind of like scared off, but I think he's got the talent. He was a former, I think, top 10 pick, and he's going to be in a system that's going to favor tight ends a lot, and they have really no receiving uh, threats to kind of take targets away from him. I like I love his upside, I should say, this year. I think he could easily move into that top three. I mean, especially when you consider kind of Waller and Kittle's injury history. I I, I love him this year.
0: Yeah, same, I just think his upside is is immense this year. And uh, just to add on to what you said here real quick, I'm also a guy who typically waits on tight end, but hawkinson should be going like a round and a half earlier and for some reason he's not so it's not like i'm taking him in the middle he's really actually like a value where he's going so that's kind of why i'm okay with taking him there in the middle now guys like mark andrews and noah Fant, and Dallas Goddard who are typically right around him those are guys like i'm not going after but for some reason hawkinson i don't put in that tier i think he's a tier above those guys so when he falls into that tier you know when you're drafting that's uh that, that's pretty good value for a tight end and i'm willing to take him even in that middle where i normally uh, fade tight ends uh let's move on to number three now this one you have not figured out you did take a guess and you were wrong on both of them which was interesting to me i thought you were going to get one of them so player one these are running backs by the way two running backs player one is being taken in the top 10 he had 27 less targets than player two and he finished just behind Player 2 in the overall rankings last year. So Player 2 actually finished one spot above Player 1.
1: Can I guess on Player 1 again?
0: Yeah, go for it. Is it Kamara? It is not Kamara, no. Shit.
1: See, this is why... I, <laughs> you said this is your favorite game. I'm pretty sure it's because you knew you were going to make me look stupid at some point doing it.
0: <laughs> that was supposed to be easy. <laughs> I don't, I don't no, know. This, this, one, this one is pretty tough. Uh, so Player 2 is going in the fourth round and is being hard faded by every analyst I've listened to so far, Uh, including myself. Like uh, until I started like looking at this, I may actually start valuing him a little bit higher just by looking at these stats. Now they did add a running back as depth and gave him a decent contract this off season. Uh, Do you have a guess on who these players are? I could do one more.
1: I know now I'm pretty sure from what you were saying, that uh, Josh Jacobs is number two. Yes. And I and I get being faded now because of the new situation, but number one. Oh god, I, I still don't know. It's Nick Chubb. Oh damn it. I should've I should have fucking guessed that with 27 less targets than Josh Jacobs, like Yep. God.
0: Yeah, I think Nick Chubb only had 18 targets if I remember what my notes were. Uh, I don't have them pulled up. But I'm pretty sure he only had 18 targets last year, which is abysmal. I just think, you know, Nick Chubb, to me, I think is going a little high, personally. He's, everybody's fading Jacobs. It's, it's like the exact same situation to me. Now, obviously, Jacobs was a little more inconsistent last year because he did finish a spot higher than Nick Chubb, and this is half-point PPR, by the way. Although he finished higher, there were games where like, you, he just screwed you you know, because he, yeah. he wasn't putting up points. There's also games where he won you weeks. So I think where he's being drafted, at, like that's fine for me. You know, I'm okay taking a guy there who's a little less consistent in the fourth round. For me, this was a, more of a testament to Nick Chubb going too high. He's going to be splitting work with Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt's a better back than Kenyon Drake is, and yet J- Josh Jacobs is being faded because get, like Kenyon Drake showed up. I don't understand why Nick Chubb is being hyped up so much more than Josh Jacobs when they're like the same player.
1: See, I uh, I kind of disagree on both fronts. First, I never take Nick Chubb, especially if it's in a league that values receptions just because he gets so few. I would rather take a risk when a guy like Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, one of those running backs, or just take one of the top receivers over him. I don't think I'm going to end up in any drafts having Nick Chubb unless he falls to like the second round, which isn't going to happen very often. And the other aspect of it is I think Nick Chubb is a far superior player to Josh Jacobs in a better situation. While Josh Jacobs is in a team that isn't going to run as much as Cleveland, you really don't know what their coach is thinking. Gruden does whatever the hell he wants, and they have a crap ton of like solid receivers too. And it's not as good at offense as Cleveland is either. So it's like, and I also think Nick Chubb is the touchdown guy there. I don't think Josh Jacobs is the touchdown guy. I think Kenyon Drake comes in and takes goal line work away. So I don't see as I don't see him as similar situations. I think. Just one team is far better than the other one. And the situation is way better for Nick Chubb. And I still don't end up with Nick Chubb
0: very often either. I'm just saying they're similar players, uh, especially judging what their overall was last year. And they're kind of in similar situations with how they're going to split work, I think. And I think Chubb's in an even worse situation as far as that goes, because Kareem, like I said, Kareem Hunt's better than Kenyon Drake. Now, to me, Nick Chubb's going too high. And maybe Josh Jacobs is going a little too low, like, or, or is going where he should. But he's typically a guy that I have been fading hard in drifts. Like, I see him in the fourth round, and I'm like, no way, dude. Like, uh-uh, you ain't going to get me, Josh Jacobs. Not today. But looking at this, if people are willing to take Nick Chubb in the first round, then I don't understand why they wouldn't be willing to take Josh Jacobs in the fourth round is kind of the, my point of this whole, whole little uh, comparison here. Uh, Do you have anything else you want to add about these three guys? I I think we kind of hit them all pretty hard here and pretty good. Yeah,
1: for sure. I just, next time I'll do better. I'll get all three. You're not going to stop me. You're not going to stop me next (laughs) episode.
0: I I was impressed that you got both of them, you know, put the first one. Well,
1: I've been doing a lot of research on Lamar. So I kind of think that was the one that kind of tipped it.
0: Okay. Well, if you don't have anything else to add to uh, those three Pokemon that we discussed here, or I guess six Pokemon, three sets of Pokemon, uh, we can jump in. We had some fun with the show. I think it's important that we get to the meat of the show now. Uh, We can hammer out some of these tips for a successful draft. Goddamn successful sounds so bad on mic, I'm sure. Like, that's so many s's? Probably sounds like a fucking snake in somebody's ear right now. Uh, These are tips that I feel like will translate year to year. Uh, I thought that was kind of important for us to do that because it'll help, you know, kind of universally everybody at their draft, uh, these tips, I think. So this is kind of, uh, you know, an overarching strategy. And I think we broke them down into our top 10. I'll tackle the first one. We talked about uh, first of all creating tiers. Now I I do both personally. I create personal rankings and then I create tiers, and I'll kind of discuss that a little bit here at the end uh, how how exactly I incorporate the both together. But basically in snake drafts, the one thing I do is I create tiers based on where I'm going to pick each round. So like for example, say I'm in a twelve team league and I'm going ninth. I'll have my first nine guys kind of uh, tiered out. So basically that means that in that first round I'm going to get one of those nine guys. That also means that the 10th guy and on down, I'm most likely not going to get unless they fall to me. You know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 are guys that I'm okay not getting the first round. And if they fall to me in my second round, that's good. Uh, So I understand that those aren't even guys I'm going to look at. Uh, If I pick ninth in that 12 team, that means there's seven guys in my next tier for the second pick that I'm going to have. Because those seven guys, one of those seven is going to be there for me no matter what. Right. That's how the math works out. Uh, uh, this helps me really, like, especially at the turn. Uh, I can determine what guys I need to shuffle up a tier in my rankings because, uh, you know, I'm going to have a much longer wait until my next pick. So, you know, if, I, if I'm ninth and then, what would that be, 15th or something like that mm-hmm. in the 12th team, I know that I have to have those, you know, guys who are, you know, I maybe have a rank 16th, 17th, 18th up in that tier, up above 15 to make sure I get them that round or I'm not going to get them because there's no way they fall to me all the way back around. Right? Yep. Now, obviously, the further you get into a draft, the more likely it is that people fall to you because people start to reach on other players, and it's not going to follow as much uh, you know, a like, slave ranking kind of a thing. Early in the draft, you can kind of go based off of what that ADP is and know, well, not really what the ADP is, but what the rankings on your platform is, and know whether somebody's going to fall to you or not. So that's kind of how I incorporate the tiers and the rankings uh, for me. Do you have anything you want to add to that one?
1: I use it a little differently. I do it more pre-draft i kind of like want to set up and be like i want to aim to get three of my top five guys or like t- or top three tier wide receivers and kind of aim it that way and kind of like go into a basis kind of who i want to take in the draft and then in the draft i'll use my normal rankings to kind of just highlight the guys i really want to target but i do like keeping tiers just kind of knowing who i value over others and kind of like who i think is separated and then try to value whether I think a tier above at running back is more important to target at this pick than a tier below wide receiver, stuff like that. but
0: If I'm understanding correctly, you kind of go in sort of predetermined on who you want to target in certain rounds. Is that what you're saying? Like at positions?
1: Pretty much. I just, I like to think about what kind of guys I want to end up with. And like, if I know I have three tiers of wide receivers, I know I want to get either one out of each tier, or if I wait, maybe I'll get two out of the bottom three. Stuff like that, kind of just like kind of segmenting the guys I know I want to target and who I want to come out of with the draft is kind of the way I like to separate them.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's two different approaches, you know, and both could work. All right. Second, uh, you know, I think a lot of analysts talk about this. So this isn't really anything new, but I thought it was important to kind of hammer home. Don't lose your draft in the first two to three rounds. I, I think this is paramount. Uh, in those first like twenty-five to thirty picks or so for me, I'm looking at guys who have uh, solid floors. Like that's more important to me than guys with like immense upside and ceilings. You know, everybody in this range should have immense upside. That's why they're in the top three rounds. So the things that I try to look for here is guys with question marks in this range. You know, like whether you know maybe they're injured or or battling an injury. You know, contract disputes, holdouts, uh, off the field stuff uh issues with the team that sort of stuff like those guys uh, you know if if there's a guy that's i'm um, close with you know two different guys that i'm close with and one has kind of like some of these question marks i'm gonna avoid him and take the guy that i know is safer uh you know this is like the foundation of your team you know these are also guys if you take them and they end up busting uh you're not gonna be able to drop them you're not gonna feel comfortable dropping them for the first couple of weeks so you're just stuck Whereas like guys in the later rounds, like it's, it's much easier to drop if they, you know, obviously, you know, they're, they're sleepers. So uh, some statistics that I, I looked up on this are over a six-year period, 37% of running backs finished 12 spots below their ADP and 36% of wide receivers also did the same. I think that it's really important to not lose your draft here in these first three rounds. And I think it's very easy to do. I mean, if you look at those numbers, it's four out of every 10 players are a bust. Do you have anything that you want to say here about this at all?
1: For the most part, I may take a shot on one of those three guys, just if I think he has so much more upside than the rest of the people in that tier. But uh, for the most part, I agree. You kind of you never lose your draft in the first, or you never win your draft in the first three rounds. You can lose it, though. Just be stuck with a guy who's going to kind of have as low a floor as possible. Like You can lose stuff on that, so you kind of have to be cognizant of it going in. Uh, question for you. Who's some of the guys that you think like you're avoiding based on this principle this year?
0: This year, uh, Kamara is one of them. I have in my notes here, but I didn't mention our players that were on great offenses and then had a drastic change. Maybe they got traded or were a free agent that they went to a bad offense or their quarterback, who's an all pro left and their wide receiver, main wide receivers out for like half the season. So that's kind of Kamara's situation. Another guy that, um, you know, we just talked about is Nick Chubb. You know, those those are the the big two that kind of come to mind for me. Oh, Jonathan Taylor's another one. Uh, Big injury to his quarterback. Huge injury to one of his offensive linemen. He doesn't catch passes. He's going to be in a bad offense. And he's still going in the top 10. So those those are three guys for me that I think are, you know, fades for me in in that first round, especially.
1: Okay, next, guys. uh, We want to kind of look at being wary of the running back dead zone and for people who don't know, I mean, this has kind of been a thing people have been talking about a lot more recently, is uh, running backs in rounds three through six, it's been shown that there's a very high negative EV to tho- that strategy of taking a lot of guys there. And I think a lot of this comes down to you want to target those first first and second round guys the most because they have the highest upside, but they also have the highest floor on running backs. This is the big thing. You kind of know the safe... Uh, Carries numbers and target numbers you're going to get with guys like Kamara, Zeke, uh, McCaffrey, stuff like that. If they don't get hurt, they're going to be good. But then you got to kind of look at the guys in three through six, and it's usually guys you're taking risk on kind of like DeAndre Swift, Miles Sanders, Miles Gaskin, Kareem Hunt. I think most fantasy managers would be lying if they said they felt totally confident that those guys were going to be top 12 to uh, 10 running backs. So I think the running back dead zone, you kind of have to keep in mind where you're taking these guys and kind of what their upside is versus where their floor is. If we look at a couple from last year, there was only three guys drafted in that range that finished in the top or four guys in that range that finished in the top 13. These guys have all obvious red flags, and you're passing up really good players to take them as opposed to taking guys way later that obviously have red flags but the risk in investment in them is not as high. And if they hit, you got in way cheaper and you can add them to better players you took earlier. So I think that's kind of where the running running back dead zone comes in. And that's why people need to keep it in mind more.
0: Yep. Uh, we can move on to the next one. We kind of mentioned it with the whole Hawkinson thing earlier, but I personally like to use the Ricky Bobby method. Everybody knows the quote that he's kind of famous for, which is if you ain't first or last. And that's the exact approach that I take towards tight ends and quarterbacks. And we kind of just touched on it a little bit there. As well as with the Hawkinson thing earlier, you know, this year, for example, there's you know three tight ends that are, in my opinion, a tier above. You know, you got Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, and we talked you know Hawkinson because I think he should be closer to this tier, and he's going later. Uh, I'm willing to take him in those middle rounds, but he's easy outlier to that, not you know not the rule. He's the exception kind of a thing. You know, I typically try and decide where I'm comfortable with these middle round tight ends falling, and even these upper echelon tight ends falling to. And if they don't fall there, I just pass on tight end entirely until the end. Uh, Same goes for quarterback. And my reasoning for this is when I look at quarterback and tight end, I want to finish in the top half of my league, five or six, if it's a 10 or 12 team league. I can do that without drafting a middle of the road tight end in these rounds. I can do that by streaming. So what's the point in taking one of these tight ends in round 456 it kind of goes to that running back dead zone like that for me is a tight end quarterback dead zone i can stream a quarterback or a tight end who's going to do the exact same thing and then i can wait to take a shot in the dark on tight end you know in the 10th 11th 12th round who i think you know may have upside to break into that top 5 and i'm not having to spend a pick that i could have taken a starting wide receiver or starting running back on my team
1: yeah for sure i uh, this is how i handle it too Usually the way I will take it is I'll take a top-tier tight end, either the Waller, Kittle, Kelsey tier, or I'll wait and I'll take two guys late in drafts and kind of just take flyers on guys. And this is how I usually employ it with quarterbacks too. Well, I'll end up with one of those – usually I'll either end up with a high QB or high tight end, and then, no, I'll be waiting for the other one, depending on the values that kind of come up. But I don't mind – if you're going to wait, take two at the end. I know a few years ago, I took Lamar Jackson super late and paired him with another QB who, was like a safer, who had a safer floor and ended up paying off for me. I think I got second that year. I think it's just uh, you kind of have to know who the top guys are and who the – you really have to kind of center in on the guys you're going to target late in drafts and kind of fill that position or stream if you feel comfortable doing that.
0: Yeah, I think these positions are uh, two of the positions that I kind of do the most research on as far as like sleepers go. That's typically one of those positions I'm going to be getting a deep sleeper at. So I want to know who those guys are that I think have a chance to break out. Uh, Another thing that I really pay attention to as far as like when I'm waiting on these sleepers, you know, obviously, like we said, to create your tiers, And I do that for quarterbacks and tight ends too. So every single position has a cliff that it kind of falls off. You know, tight end, I think, is a lot earlier than quarterback personally. And I think that pretty much is universal year to year. I always think that quarterback is deeper than tight end. So the thing that I pay attention to with these tiers is how many of those guys are left in that tier and what does everybody else's roster look like? If everybody else has their quarterback already and there's still three guys left that I'm comfortable taking and starting and I think have you know a chance to break out in these later tiers, I'm going to wait and I'll reassess the next time that it comes around on my pick and see, okay, well, two of those guys went, people are starting to take backups. I better go get my guy.
1: Uh, I'm going to hop in the next one. I think I'm going to combine two because I kind of think both are pretty similar. First, we talk about knowing your league. I think this is a big one for if you've been in a league that's uh, been together a long time, you kind of know the guys you're drafting with. Kind of know kind of their tendencies. Ryan, we're both uh, from PA, so we know a lot of Eagles fans. And a lot of the guys in our league like to take Eagles players. So we know in situations we never overdraft those Eagles players because we know these guys are going to overdraft them. So a lot of times if I'm drafting, let's say I I know I'm up in four spots and there's an Eagles guy in between and one of those Eagles homers in between me, I know for sure who they're going to take there. So I can kind of gauge if I want to leave somebody out there knowing that they, they're going to hop on the Eagles player before they would hop on the guy I want. So it's kind of being comfortable with the guys you draft with and know their tendencies going in.
0: So if you can kind of sit there and predict like, okay, well, this guy's going to take him because I know he likes his team or you know this guy's been talking about you know so and so all freaking offseason he won't shut up about him you and maybe it's one of your guys so you know you have to go get him or maybe it's not one of your guys you know he's going to take that pick and you know the guy that you want is going to fall at least two more spots you know two two more picks anyways in between you because those two guys are going and you know who they're taking
1: i also think tied into this is our next category is knowing your scoring system this may sound pretty obvious to a bunch of people, but I think you'd be surprised with there's many people that have the same rankings for every league they're in or every best ball draft they do, and they don't really factor in stuff like full PPR versus half PPR versus standard. I mean, this is the most obvious, a lot of people factor this in because a lot of industry leaders have different rankings for each system, but I don't think people factor in four-point-passing touchdown and six-point-passing ta- touchdown. I'm way more likely to reach on one of those rushing QBs like a Lamar, like a Kyler, if it's a four point per passing touchdown league, because I know guys like the more traditional throwing QBs aren't going to have the higher floors because they're getting a discount on every pass touchdown they throw compared to other guys who are going to have the rush yard and kind of just bolster their floors up from the beginning. Another thing that I think a lot of people don't kind of take into consideration is two QB leagues or like. Uh, three wide receiver leagues, and so on, and basically just kind of knowing your roster limits and kind of going in. Like I know I've been doing a few best balls where they had three wide receivers versus two and a flex, and I've been trying to take more wide receivers because you know you're starting more of those guys. If you can get more top-end talent, you're going to have an edge on guys who kind of wait and kind of reach on other running backs and are filling their bench spots before they're reaching and taking their starters. So I think being knowledgeable and having a plan based on the way your scoring system set up is like a perfect strategy to take in.
0: Uh, The next tip that I'd like to kind of hit, and uh, I think this is really important because I think when you go into a draft, you tend to panic and you just want to be so prepared. I mean, obviously everybody who's listening to this podcast wants to be prepared. That's why you're listening. While it's great to be prepared, it's also bad to be too rigid. I think going in with a preset determination of, oh, I'm going zero RB at this draft, uh, or I'm getting my tight ends early no matter what. It just paints you in a corner. like That's the kind of thinking that you have in a mock draft. That's great for mock drafts because you can go in, be like, okay, I'm going to go zero RB and see what happens. You don't ever want to go into a draft and be like, okay, I'm going to do this and see what happens. It's more like, I'm going to see what happens and then do this. That's kind of the way I approach all of my drafts. You got to stay liquid. You got to stay fluid. The best thing you can do is to figure out the guys you want Figure out the guys you don't want. uh, Determine if a run happens, you know, at a certain position, which I think is like the biggest. It's kind of like a culture shock. Is you know, oh crap! Like I need running backs, and like twelve running backs just went off the board, and now it's my turn. What do I do? You have to decide there whether you're going to continue this run or break it. So for me, what I do is it goes back to those tiers. If there's one or two players left in that tier at that position for me, I'm going to jump in and take that player. Now if it's already fallen off a cliff for that position. There's no point in jumping in now because you can get immense value at another position because everybody else was doing what you were thinking about doing. Where they're they're climbing on this train, so go start your own train. Guess what? That's fine. This dude just got Mike Davis. Well, guess what? You know you got C.D. Lamb at at wide receiver because everybody wanted to take running backs. Very very important. It, honestly, I think it's the most important tip, in my opinion, is to stay li- stay loose, stay stay fluid, and uh, not set yourself into a predetermined strategy for a draft
1: yep exactly i think people who go into drafts and can improvise and kind of get out of there with the best players are going to be the ones who get ahead not the guys who kind of go in and go oh i'm going to be taking this person this person this person or quarterback in round four running back in round five it doesn't work that way you got to be fluid you have to take kind of what the draft is giving you and come out with the most the best value possible i think that's those are the best people at doing drafts
0: yeah, I, I essentially equate it to chess. Like, obviously, in chess, like, there's a certain way you want things to go, but you're playing against somebody who's doing things that they want to stop you and do their own things. So, fantasy football is the same way, except for you have nine other opponents instead of one. So, if you're not looking at all 64 squares on the board, you know, in this case, all the players in the draft and, and staying loose with your strategy, you're screwed.
1: We're going to hop into the next one. I want to kind of talk about uh, strength of schedule and how you kind of factor that into your drafts. I like to think of that as a tiebreaker for the most part. It's not a set in stone kind of thing, just because going into a fantasy draft, you don't really know what defense is going to be like. There's a lot of movement in the offseason. You kind of guess, but there's never a true definite going into a year which defense is going to be good, which is going to be bad, which position group is going to be a weakness for them. But I do think it is good to kind of take a tiebreaker approach to it, where it's like, if I have one guy, one spot different than the other guy, you just kind of go, he has a much easier start. I kind of target the guy with the easier start. That's the way I kind of go into it. I also think it's more, it's a better approach to kind of only do it early part of the season as opposed to late, because I think the first four or five weeks we can kind of base off the previous year. And then by the end of the year, there's going to be a lot more injuries and kind of shakeups, and you kind of throw everything you kind of took into the draft out the window because those teams are completely different by year uh, week seventeen.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, same thing. You know, I think the beginning of the season strength schedule is important. I don't really look at the the thing as a whole. Uh, the main reason, I, all the things you said for that, and also. If somebody has a tough strength of schedule in the beginning of the season and they're struggling, you're maybe going to give up on that player or you're going to ship them off for cheaper and somebody's going to get a steal from you because you took this dude who was getting crapped on for four weeks by, you know, great defenses. And now all of a sudden they're playing, you know, the Panthers. And I think we planned on doing a show on this, you know, kind of like trade baiting players, you know, looking at the guys who have that easy schedule riding that wave and then selling them at the high point to other people in order to get like higher value players. Um, but that's kind of the way I view it. And, and like you said, I use it as a tiebreaker. It's not like, Oh, well, this guy's got an easier strength schedule. I'm moving him up two rounds. It's like, okay, these guys are in the same tier. Who do I really want here? Okay. Well, I'm going to take the guy who like, is just going to crush it for the first three weeks.
1: Yep. Exactly.
0: The thing I try and do is I try to uh, make my early season decisions easier. When I target sleepers in the later rounds, uh, I tend to target guys that are going to really show me who they are, like early, uh, within the first week or two. You know, you're going to need guys who you can cut for free agency, anyways. So I try to avoid guys who are going to take up space and do nothing. Like some examples of that for me are handcuffs. Like I almost, unless it's a deep league or best ball, you know, a league where there's no in-season management where you can't build rosters with free agents. Uh, I try to avoid handcuffs, you know. Second tight ends, backup quarterbacks, uh, that kind of stuff. That I just don't see the point, you know. Unless the quarterback has like immense upside, like you know, for example, Trey Lance this year, Justin Fields because of their running ability. Like they're not established yet, but they're unknowns, and you get them late. Those guys I'm okay with taking, but like if I have like Tom Brady and uh, like Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr available, like what what the what's the point? Why are you going to take them for? It goes back to that whole streaming thing. You could stream during that bye week and fill in the Tom Brady bye week, you know. You know, in these rounds I'd much rather take shots on wide receivers that may fill a role. Uh, guys who are like in, in ambiguous situations, like, you know, we talked about uh guys who are in unknown situations. That's kind of like where you win your fantasy league if you can pick the right ones there. And uh, I, I would target running backs who are in close camp battles and they may be split in time already in these later these later rounds. And I think, you know, guys that I think have a chance of winning that job, like for me, it's Kenneth Gainwell because everybody's kind of like off the smile Sanders train. I think Gainwell could, you know, end up taking a large portion of that role, so he's a guy I target later. I'd rather have him than some of these other, like, handcuffed guys, personally.
1: Yeah, honestly, this is one I never really employed, but it actually makes a lot of the sense as you explain it. I, I, I think sometimes I do that as well, is I'll take guys who I think, like, oh, this guy is an insane upside, but when is that upside actually gonna reveal itself? So I, and and if anything, it kind of screws you over early in the year because you feel like you want to look smart and keep the guy as long as you can. And if he breaks out after you get rid of him, you feel dumb. So I think it kind of just puts you in a box a little bit. So actually this is a strategy I actually might start employing a little more.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of people who take the handcuffs, in my opinion, they're kind of playing fantasy to not lose. It's like an insurance policy in case their guy get gets hurt. Like injuries are going to happen, and I'd rather take the guy who is going to have that upside rather than like some sort of safety net. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. So you can always go pick up the handcuff later. You know after you know week two, assuming that the guy doesn't get hurt in the first two weeks. If your guy ends up being a bust, go grab the handcuff. Like that's fine. Go get your insurance policy if there's nobody else on the waivers you like and that guy didn't pan out. I'm okay with that, but I don't think that the handcuff has the upside where the other guys may.
1: True. I mean, I I approach it a little differently. I just, I don't target my own handcuffs. I'll take other players' handcuffs just on the off chance somebody gets hurt. And as you know, we're in a regular uh, waiver wire league. So if a guy gets hurt in practice, or even if he gets hurt in the game on Sunday, we have to go through waivers. And if a guy gets hurt, and I unfortunately win week one, I get screwed because I won that, and whoever lost will get arguably the best guy pickup of the whole year. So sometimes I do like to take flyers on guys and like just see what happens with them and just know I'll have a leg up on I don't have to deal with the whole waiver wire structure, but I think sometimes I'll hold on to those guys maybe a week or two too long expecting something that never really comes.
0: Sure. Yeah, I can see that, and I think that's less of a – Concern in you know Fab pre-agency uh, kind of things, obviously. Exactly. Uh, the last one, uh, pretty easy, and I know every single show I've ever listened to always mentions this, but I'm going to mention it again. Don't get drunk during your draft. Uh, don't come high. You want you want party? Do it afterwards. Let the other guys make their mistakes, and then you can play catch-up after the draft and celebrate because you just crushed them into the dirt. Staying focused, staying clear. You know you're there. For a couple hours in order to win the championship and get paid at the end of the season. And that's the way I view it. And then you can go party afterwards. So,
1: Now, Ryan, you sound pretty calm during this. Uh, Can you kind of explain why you hype this one up a little bit? Maybe explain your last two drafts in our home league.
0: I don't want to talk about that, okay?
1: Uh, Oh, yeah? You don't want to talk (laughs) about it? You're definitely the drunkest one by the end of the draft the last two years, buddy.
0: Right, well, you see, when you win five years in a row, you, can, you can kind of get a little cocky. Just, <laughs>
1: just kind of mailing it in a little bit.
0: I was, dude. I was like, ah, oh, man, these guys don't know what they're doing. I can get plastered. I'll be fine. And then you start you start doing terrible trades for like AJ Green and shit like that. So, yeah, this year it will not be the case. I'll take my own advice and, uh, yeah.
1: You're trying to give a little hand uh, handicap to the rest of us, trying to make it a little easier.
0: Yeah, dude, I told you I can't beat you guys with my hand tied behind my back or something like that. Basically exactly. Was, right?
1: Apparently, hand behind your back is uh, drinking six Miller Lights in one night. <laughs>
0: uh, it was more than six. <laughs>
1: it's true. I was being generous.
0: All right, Josh. Uh, so, episode two is in the books. Unless there's anything else you wanted to add here, uh, it's up to you. Uh, I think we covered I, everything. I mean...
1: I think the biggest thing is just, and it's obvious, just be prepared. Just have your knowledge base ready. Have your rankings ready, your tiers, and go in with a knowledge base that's way greater than anybody else in your draft, and you should be fine.
0: Alright, that wraps up. Uh, As always, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Leave us a review. Unless you hated the show, you probably didn't make it this far anyways. Uh, So don't leave us a review. Just turn it off. Don't listen to us again. That's fine. We'll be okay without you. Uh, For Josh Smith, I'm Ryan Reber. We're the Fantasy Flyers, and uh, we appreciate you spending a late round pick on us.